throw out there for, for you guys to process, and I'm, I mentioned it to Michael, and, yeah, but, you know, one thing that might be compelling just in talking, John and I were talking at the break, is pray about whether in the future what God would do with someone, I, I have a couple of theologians in mind who are really, really good at helping think through dynamics of culture and theology and, and that kind of thing, but maybe at some point you could do a, a conference which would deal with, okay, how do you bring theology and biblical training to bear in cultural context? So, for instance, you know, some of you are dealing in Afrikaans uh, contexts in which long histories of culture in the church are really keeping them from moving on biblically. Some of you are dealing with, you know, contexts where uh, traditional African, uh, you know, African traditions are so embedded in the way that people think that, that the training in biblical thinking and theology is just a huge challenge. So it seems to me like one of the things you guys ought to pray about is maybe a conference that is addressing the convergence of theology and culture and the future of the church in South Africa. It's just a thought. I'm not saying that's a, you know, a word from the Lord there, but it's, it's something that you, uh, I think, might be a good thing to pray about because it, it really is a battle for the minds and hearts of people, um, and, and that's going to be a, a real kind of hinge on the direction and future of the church, I think, in any culture, but also in, in uh, South Africa. In American culture, for instance, right now, and in Canadian culture is way beyond American culture in this, but uh, there is such a, 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 an assault on the church in terms of cultural values uh, that it's, it's going to be a, a rough future for large portions of the church, I think, in North America, because the the dominant um, worldview is being brought to bear in a, in particular ways in the North American context, and so um, we need to pray for each other, and we need to keep working at it and thinking through how we how we do this. Um, in transitioning to this next section um, that we're going to be looking at here on proper and improper boasting is the is the next section. Let me just mention something very practical to think about uh, as you and I deal with conflict. This kind of goes back to what the brother was asking about uh, in his questions there at the, um, at the end. But, you know, as I think about us trying to walk well, trying to live well as people of integrity, we, we need to think about the fact that opposition is not just one kind in the church. You know, when somebody's standing up and challenging us on something, that may actually have different sources. So let me, let me just mention this to think about. You know, when, when somebody comes against, uh, or not comes against me, but, you know, there, uh, there may be, uh, when I enter, enter into conflict as a leader, there may be different reasons for that. One is... Um, we, we could be reading concerned accountability as carnal opposition. Sometimes people confront me because I need to be confronted. And, and our first impulse, especially if the person confronting us is a godly person who's walking with the Lord, they're, you know, there's somebody who, who are sound in their life and their ministry. If somebody comes to me and says, uh, brother, I need to talk to you about this, this thing that's going on or this way you handle the situation, the first response needs to be, okay, I'm all ears, you know, talk to me. Um, because one of, the, one of the things we don't want to do is when uh, people confront us, and it's actually a righteous, just kind of confrontation, 
and we treat it like carnal confrontation, you know, as if they're doing something that's wrong and inappropriate and that kind of thing because of who I am and my position, that can be so damaging to our own spiritual lives uh, and to our position in the church. So, so we need to be teachable, in other words, as leaders and, and hear that. A second um, type of thing that could come up is sometimes we can misunderstand the dynamics at play um, in, you know, the, the things that are going on in the church. Sometimes stress and struggle is a normal part of growth. So let me, let me just tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes when you're going through a big transition in the church, it's not easy, it's stressful. And you, you can say, you know, well, this is spiritual warfare or whatever. It may just be this is a normal part of growth. Um, the, the other guy who's the lead pastor at our church back in Tennessee, we had, this was 15 years ago, 20, almost 20 years ago now, but we went through a time in the church where we were discerning about what the focus needed to be, like on Sunday mornings and that kind of thing. And my friend is a stability person. He's a, uh, he's a person who kind of hangs on, you know, doggedly to, you know, a, a, a certain vision. And I was at a place where my discernment was we needed to move on, for instance, to just real rigorous exegetical preaching and teaching in the, in the morning service. And, uh, and so we went through a period of about a year and a half continuing to stay together, work together, love each other, and it was hard and it was frustrating, but I think Christ was honored and the church ended up coming out in a much healthier place because the leaders were willing to process over time and pray together and hang in there together while God was sorting this out in the life of the church. So sometimes stress and struggle and, and disagreement is just a normal part of growth. Um, sometimes we may mishandle the situation and need to repent. Um, and, and yet, the other kind of thing that we do face is sometimes we do face spiritual warfare. Uh, unbiblical, unspiritual opposition does come up. And that goes back to what I was saying a little bit ago, that, that at that point, then, we need to make sure that we are living as people of integrity. We need to really pray and, and have, you know, spiritual warfare in that sense, uh, have good processes set up in the life of the church so that we, we are processing things as a body uh, biblically and spiritually. Let me just, just one example of that. In American Christianity, a lot of times it's more democratic uh, generally. And so whatever you think about that, if you, if you have you know, anybody who walks down front gets to vote or whatever, what you're doing in that kind of setup is you're actually giving spiritual decisions in the hands of immature people uh, and that's a problem. And so our church was countercultural in saying, no, people have to be committed to certain things, have a certain level of maturity to be involved in decision-making in the life of the church. And you may come from an elder-led kind of situation or something else. Ours was kind of a combination of elder-led and then the broader, mature community of believers being involved in kind of a series of processing of decisions. Um, so, so those are different things. It's not just one thing. If, you're, if you are a knee-jerk leader that anytime somebody brings up a problem with you, the answer is, oh, this is spiritual warfare. You're not right with God. That's a, that's a real problem. And it's going to not be good for you, and it's not going to be good for the church in the long run. All right. Um, let's look at the next passage, and uh, we'll, let's, we're going to kind of walk through this. I'm going to just intuitively here force myself to go a little bit 
faster uh, so that because we're going to need to move on through today. Um, so, you know, it's hard to do this because this is such good stuff. But let's take a look at this next passage and see if we can move on through this because we need to move into the section on, um, on Paul's form of boasting that he is doing, which um, he's going to actually play out for us in uh, the following chapters. Um, so what we want to look at here in verses 12 through 18 is a passage in which he's drawing a sharp contrast between his ministry and the false teachers. So look at uh, verse 12 and following, and I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage, and then we're going to kind of walk through some of the dynamics here. For we wouldn't dare, and by the way, my, my translation again, thank you for being patient with my translation. My translation is embodying aspects of my interpretation. Always feel free to ask me specifics if I don't deal with them. But it's going to sound a little bit different in a couple of places again uh, because of that. For we wouldn't dare to classify or compare ourselves with any of those who are commending themselves. That's the same language he's been using in the book, saying that he is commending himself to people and to God, you know, before God. But same language here. He says, we wouldn't dare to classify or compare ourselves with any of those who are commending themselves. Here's the difference. When they measure themselves using themselves as the standard and compare themselves with one another, they are clueless. That's how I've translated it. In other words, they really don't know what's going on. We, on the other hand, refuse to boast beyond proper limits, but boast within the boundaries of the assignment God has given us, boundaries that reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves, which we would be doing if our ministry does not extend to you. Indeed, we reached as far as you with the good news about Christ. Neither do we boast beyond appropriate limits by boasting of hard work done by others. But we do hope that as your faith continues to grow, our ministry in accordance with our assignment will be extended tremendously by you. We hope for this so that we might preach the good news in regions beyond you instead of boasting about work already accomplished in another person's sphere of ministry. What Paul's doing here in part is he's anticipating he thought he was going to go all the way to Spain. And he was going to use the Corinthians as one launch pad for moving further to the west in the Mediterranean world. Now, he may have. We don't know that. He may have, but at least at this point, he's planning on moving on to Italy and then on from there to Spain. Then he quotes um, our passage here, the one who boasts should boast in the Lord. And this is a passage he quotes in a couple of places in his writings. For it is not the one commending himself who passes the test, but the, the one whom the Lord commends. Now, immediately... Uh, we have a couple of cultural things at play here that I want to remind us of, and the context is really, really important because even with what I just read, it can sound a little bit confusing 
Paul says it's not the one committing himself who's, who's where they need to be, it's who, whom the Lord commends. He's not saying that self-commendation in and of itself is wrong. He's saying if you have a worldly form of self-commendation, which is not really about the Lord, that is wrong. And remember, here's the cultural backdrop. Let me just drive this home. In the world at that time, boasting was seen as of two kinds. Let's just say, let's call it public celebration of something. And Paul, throughout his letters, will say, I want to get to the day of Christ where I am proud of you, I am boasting about you, and you are boasting about me. In other words, that you are celebrating what God has done in me, and I'm celebrating what God has done in you. And so there was a form in broader Jewish theology in the Old Testament where there was a form of boasting in God, and and the idea is celebrating the things of God and what God has done. And when Paul comes and he boasts about his own ministry, it's, it's in the same breath as this idea of commending himself. What he is saying is, I can celebrate who God has made me to be and what God has done in my ministry because it is of God. And it is God-centered, and it's carrying out God's mission in the world. And I can celebrate that fact. And Paul's the first one to step up and say it is not that we are commending ourselves in the sense that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. The difference between his boasting and the boasting of the false teachers is his boasting was absolutely God-centered, absolutely cognizant of his own inadequacy. And the difference is with the false teachers, their boasting was all about bragging on themselves and their abilities and their status in the world. Because in in rhetoric of the day, that's one of the things that you did. Like if you go back and you read some of the Greco-Roman kind of stuff, they'll give examples of people who are standing before you know, the Senate or whatever, and bragging on their own accomplishments as, as evidence for why people ought to follow them or allow them to be the leader or whatever. Do you see the difference? So the key in this passage, if you go back to the first part of the passage, take a look at verse 12. He said, we wouldn't dare classify or compare ourselves, I've translated it, with any of those who are commending themselves. In other words... He says, we're not in the same category as them. We're not going to go toe-to-toe with them and play their games where we stand up before people and say, let me tell you why I'm better than this guy. Classifying, comparing ourselves. He says, because when they compare themselves with themselves, in other words, they have the human standard in mind. So, Michael, come up here just for a minute. Are you nervous? Okay. Well, and and so here's the thing. Their form of ministry, ministry, their form of leadership and getting ahead and buying for why they are the ones that the Corinthians ought to follow is even among them, they are, you know, doing kind of comparisons and say, look, I speak better than him. I'm, I'm more handsome than he is. You know, this guy, no kidding, in that context with the sophists, they would actually do that. Don't I have a glorious appearance compared to this other guy? 
Don't I carry myself with dignity in, in public in a way that he does not? You know, so what they're doing is, he says, when they compare themselves with themselves, in other words, they're doing the type of rhetoric when they say, let me tell you why you ought to follow me and not this guy, why I'm better than him. And they're doing that metaphorically, or not metaphorically, but they're doing that overtly, but they're doing it virtually, if you will, with Paul. Paul's not there standing in the room, but what they're doing is they're saying, let's line us up with Paul and see how we compare to Paul. So it is a horizontal, earthly, human standard kind of approach that says, look, I've got more money than him, I look better than him, I handle myself better in public, I've got the wealthy, powerful people in Corinth on my side. Obviously, I'm the right leader for the Corinthian church. Thank you. You did a very good job. Have you had drama lessons before? Thank you. You did a good job. Okay. The difference is Paul says... We're not playing that game. Now, what's very interesting is he's going to play like he's playing that game when we get to the full speech, and we'll talk about that. But what Paul is doing is he, they're not even in the room in Paul's form of boasting. In fact, he, he alludes to them, won't, won't name them, as I said before. Why? Because Paul's whole idea of condemnation is just in his relationship with God. It's who God is, what God is about, how God has facilitated his ministry. It's all about that. Now, I'm not saying that in modern Christian context, we can't have, you know, the idea of credentials. You know, for instance, if we're talking about somebody we're going to have come be the, the, the lead pasta, and um, I love the way you say pasta. I love that. That's great. Something we eat in North America. Uh, it's, you know... But I, I love that. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get resumes from people and say, you know, this guy is, is uh, theologically trained, and therefore I'm not. We, we need to consider, uh, you know, if someone is, is suitable and fit from a training standpoint and experience standpoint, all of that is, is, is appropriate as long as in our churches and in ministries like Regent College where I teach, as long as the ground and the foundation of all of that is a God-centered orientation, biblically and theologically oriented, centered, grounded approach to things, right? So that, you know, for instance, when we're doing uh, interviews and things at our college or any university, people often have to fill out a lengthy theological interview where they're being interviewed about the soundness of their doctrine and their theology. And that, you know, so that, that's entirely appropriate. But you see Paul drawing the contrast between himself and these false teachers. They are, in other words, their posture is like this. They're fighting each other like this. And Paul says, I'm not going to get in that scuffle. Not going to do it. He says, my type of commendation is different. My type of boasting is God-centered. That's why he comes around to the Old Testament text that says, he who boasts, let him boast in, not himself, but in the Lord. God-centered kind of thing. Okay, let me unpack a couple of different things about this text and see if you have, um, if you have questions about this. When they use themselves as the standard, that's the key, and compare themselves with one another, they are clueless. You have a, you have a word here that uh, was speaking of someone 
um, who just really doesn't get it. And let me tell you the backdrop of this word. Comparing themselves uh, is a ministry of, 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 uh, as contest. <laughs> ministry as contest, the way that I've said it in the commentary. Paul labels this activity as clueless or more straightforwardly, it's, it's using a, a term here that means someone who just does not understand. That's the straightforward translation of it. They do not understand. The backdrop of this is the quote from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Go say to this people, you will listen by listening and you will not understand. That's the same language. And looking you will look, but you will not see. You will not perceive. For this people's heart has grown fat with their ears. They have heard heavily and they have shut their eyes so that they might not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. In other words, Paul is alluding to an Old Testament text here saying these false teachers in the way they conduct life and ministry are spiritually blind and deaf. They're clueless. They have no perception spiritually in what's going on. And so he goes on and he, he describes what they have done is overstepped the boundaries of ministry. He says in verse 13, We, on the other hand, refuse to boast beyond proper limits, but boast within our boundaries of the assignment God has given us, boundaries that reach as far as you... What had happened is the, the interlopers, the false teachers had come in and kind of taken over some of the house churches and bragged about how they were the great leaders of the house churches. Paul says they've actually overstepped their boundaries. God hasn't called them to lead the Corinthian church. They've overstepped the boundaries. They've transgressed the boundaries. And Paul says that um, our ministry reached as far as you. We brought the good news of Christ to you. We don't boast beyond appropriate limits by boasting of the hard work done by others, which again, he's alluding to these false teachers. But we do hope that as your faith continues to grow, our ministry in accordance with our assignment will be extended tremendously by you as we go and preach beyond you. So what he's saying is the reason why we have our relationship with you is because God called us to this specific ministry and we're living out a relationship with you and the gospel among you because we're doing so according to assignment. These guys who are spiritually blind are transgressing, they're overstepping the limits because they're stepping beyond what God has asked them to do. God has not called them to this ministry, in other words. I, I think I mentioned, I think it was yesterday that when I was talking about Scott Rowley and Denny Denston and Franklin, and in a sense that that is an illustration where the guy from the big, very rich white church was just coming into a neighborhood to give air conditioners, and I, I was telling you about this, right? Give air conditioners and, and uh, take kids to football games and, and all of this kind of thing. In a sense, Scott realized that he was not, that his ministry was not being discerning and they were transgressing a boundary there. Not that geographically, you know, we have neighborhood, we ought to have neighborhoods cordoned off and say, okay, this church goes over here. I'm not saying that. But from a spiritual and relational standpoint in the broader body of Christ, they were going into a neighborhood right past the leaders in that neighborhood in the church 
and, and encroaching themselves in areas where they had no business doing that. Now, they, they could have come alongside those ministries and those churches. Again, I'm not arguing for strict geographical boundaries and where churches minister. I'm just saying that in the broader body of Christ, we've got to be discerning about the network and the social implications of what we're doing. There's just uh, a wisdom about going in and trying to work with people, not in spite of people who are already doing ministry in those, in those cultural contexts. And, and you guys know a lot more about that than I do. There's been a lot of mission kind of work done that's just basically clueless in terms of it's, it's really discerning what's going on in the cultural situation because they're not working with what God has already been doing among Christian leaders in that context. So that's, uh, that's really what Paul is concerned about. And so he brings it around to um, his posture here, which is, again, a very God-oriented um, posture according to the assignment of God. And he comes down and he is doing a form of rabbinic unpacking of his uh, point by using a re- reinforcing text. So what does appropriate boasting look like? Paul says, well, you can see what appropriate boasting look like, looks like by looking at Jeremiah 9, 23, and 24. He's not pointing, you know, there weren't verse, chapter and verse divisions, but he's, he's saying, here's what appropriate boasting looks like. You boast in God. The full context of that passage in Jeremiah 9 reads like this. This is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty boast in his might, let not the wealthy boast in his wealth, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows that I am the Lord when I do mercy and justice and righteousness in the earth, because in these things is my will, says the Lord. Very interesting in that broader context that he says, let not the wise boast in their wisdom. These were sophists he was dealing with. Their, their stick was to come to town and say, hey, we are wise public speakers. Let not those who are uh, wealthy boast in their wealth. Again, in, in sophist mentality, um, it was all about having a lot of money, being supported by the wealthiest, most powerful people in the culture. It's why, a little bit later, it's going to be so offensive to the Corinthians when Paul turns down their help financially. He just did not do that in the culture. And so, let not a, a strong man boast of his strength. Uh, the, the false teachers were all about a position of human strength and position, status, and all of this kind of thing. And therefore, they're playing a game of, of comparing themselves with themselves. I don't know how this works out in your context of boasting in the Lord and really keeping your focus on God rather than getting into human games. But I'm guessing it's just like in my context where we, we can so easily be drawn into, even in our, in our own hearts, thinking, this guy's church is so much bigger than mine, He's so much more successful than I am. They are reaching more people. You know, if, if we're not careful, we can kind of get into a comparison game. In my world of scholarship, you know, I have to just say to you, it's a, it's a temptation for me to, to say, wow, I'm, I'm going to South Africa. I'm following Doug Moo, really? Because Doug, Doug was my advisor at, at Trinity. I have such respect and love for him and Jenny 
And, uh, you know, I can fall into the thing of saying, you know, he's forgotten more about the Bible than I'll ever know. I'm serious. You know, so it's the tug. It's kind of a, a human tug of, of, you know, falling into playing the comparison game. Boy, I have to fight against that because I'm a creature of my culture and my world where, you know, it's all about excelling and doing better. And I grew up in an athletic context where I played sports all the time, and it's all about competition. Well, we've got to resist those urges and constantly drag our hearts back before the feet of God and say, you know, Lord, this is about pleasing you. I want to do my best. I want to grow and be as smart as I can and, you know, effective as I can. But, Lord, this is, this is just, I just bow before you. And I just admit my inadequacy at in what I'm doing, but as long as I'm doing what you want me to do, that's really the point. Do you see what, see what Paul's doing here? He's just saying that, that I'm not going to play those games. All right, so um, let's, let's push the pause button on that and see if you have questions. I am completely uh, clueless uh, in terms of our time. <laughs> How's our schedule? When, when do we, uh, we break for... Uh, I used to a, be a clueless. I used to be clueless, but I've done a complete 360. Oh, okay. So uh, we're about to break. About now, about but to we, break we can do a few questions. Okay, uh, do we have two or break. three questions? Or, or if you want to just comment and say this is the way something has worked out in your, in your context, do you have um, anything that you want to share before we take a, a proper tea and coffee break? Anything that I can help us think through or you'd like to raise or, or suggest even? Anybody? The brother behind you over here, Mike, has another thought. Yep, over, right? Was that a... Or you weren't just stretching your arm? Okay, okay. All right. No, I was reluctant because it's probably not the most profound question. So, That's but okay. since no one else is asking. But we're not comparing you with anybody else's question <laughs> here, okay? So, it's okay. So, um, I'm just curious. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not from 2 Corinthians, but I'm just curious if you can help with uh, Paul's relationship with, I think it's Barnabas in Acts, mm. with the... <laughs> Things didn't work out quite so well. Do you know? Because he seems to have a good grasp of um, unhealthy competition and having a good relationship with at least people in ministry. These people are boasting, and hopefully, he's centered around God's glory in Christ. Yeah. Uh, what was happening there? Yeah, I, I think when I look at Paul and Barnabas in Acts 16, for instance, you know, as they're dividing, going different ways, and uh, I think at the end, end of Acts 15 is where it actually tells about that, if I'm remembering correctly. But the thing that, that is encouraging to me about that is that here you have two godly men who are on mission for Christ, and they don't have it all together. You know, they, they're dis disagreeing about whether John Mark should be taken on the what we call the second mission trip, and they actually divide and go separate ways. And Barnabas was... was um, from Cyprus, and he ends up, you know, going back there with John Mark, and then Paul and Silas go off, and they pick up Timothy and then Luke on the second mission trip. Um, I, I read that more as just encouraging, that that means that sometimes really godly people can disagree with each other, and, and sometimes the effect is God multiplies the ministry. That's what happened in that case, I think. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I think there are times in ministry and mission where we just sincerely have disagreements, and we may, 
even go separate directions in what we're doing. And, and sometimes God just uses that to multiply what he's doing strategically. So I think that it's likely that Barnabas and Paul ended up getting back together. Later, Paul does talk about John Mark being valuable to him. And uh, so even, you know, he was, he was the one that was not keen on taking John Mark because he had abandoned them at what we call the first mission trip as they went up into Pamphylia. And so, um, you know, they, they end up getting back together. I'm, I'm confident that Paul and Barnabas ended up maintaining fellowship and that kind of thing, you know, eventually. So, All right, someone else? Yeah. Um, just imagine you're a pastor and you've got a bunch of Sunday school teachers doing the Sunday school. Okay, a little bit louder. I'm sorry. I'm um, if you're a pastor and you've got a bunch of Sunday school teachers doing school, you know, I've never ever had specific teaching on don't compare yourself with the next guy. Okay. It is so distractive. And uh, I do think as a pastor, I need to address this, you know, quite Quite often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those really practical areas that, um, that we need to, to help people think about because it is, it's just so, it's such a natural thing to do. Again, I mentioned earlier the whole social media thing in the United States, and, um, and uh, again, it's so easy to fall into that trap of thinking, Okay, I only have 10,000 people following me, and Trevin Wax has 150,000 people following. You know, it's just, it's just not a healthy game to be drawn into. Um, that's, that's why I think the whole, you know, personal platform kind of mentality, I'm building my ministry in the platform, I think it's kind of a dangerous, unhealthy thing. Uh, and I think a person has to be really discerning. I really do believe people like Justin Taylor and Trevin Wax in the United States context are doing a great service through their form of social media because they expose people to all these wonderful books and podcasts and things. So I'm, I'm not questioning their ministry. I think those are great ministries. I'm just thinking, you know, if somebody is caught up, like in my context, somebody will be tweeting, you know, they're a real popular thing, and they're, and they're, and they're, they're sitting there tweeting things like, I'm in the grocery store right now, and I can't find my wife. No kidding. I mean, I really, there was a tweet like that. I'm sitting there going, why would I need to know that you're in the grocery store and can't find your wife? You know, and all it is, it's keeping yourself, this is the point, it's keeping yourself in front of your audience, keeping you in their mind, which is kind of the point of the whole social media thing. So, you know, I agree with you. I think that we need to, to help each other think well about not falling into games of comparison, which are just, in, in my culture at least, it's just so, so easy to do that. Honey? Well, when you have people, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm, I'm speaking as I'm thinking, so I might not, it might not all come out right. Okay, so... Trevin may not be thinking, whoa, I've got these points, but the other people. So make sure you are telling them that it's not Trevin that's necessarily in the wrong. Thank you. Yes. Because Trevin's a friend of mine and partner in ministry and stuff. No, you're right. And let me just underscore that. I think God probably, I think God has called Trevin Wax, for instance, to this ministry of 
you know, the way he uses social media. So let me, he may, he may not, yeah, that's right. I don't think, uh, I don't think that's the thing for him. My point is, if I was in his situation, it may be my temptation to focus on numbers and, you know, all that kind of thing. So God, I'm not saying God doesn't give people different ministries and, and sometimes social media may be right in the middle of what is going on. I'm just saying that inherent in that kind of thing, which is based on numbers, for instance, there's a danger and a caution. And um, I've had several people say that, you know, I just found that, and I, this was my experience when my publisher was really wanting me to keep doing all that kind of stuff, I just found it was just not healthy for me. And that probably says more about my character than it does anything else, but it just was not a healthy thing for me. I'm not making a statement about everybody who uses social media. That's a really good point, because sometimes it can be really effective in ministry. I actually want to make one comment here. So one of the things, you know, we, we work with a lot of scholars and teachers, but deliberately we don't do evaluation sort of forms where we say, like, how was George Guthrie versus how was Bob Yarbrough? Because we think in terms of whether, whether God has gifted a person in a certain area to minister in a kind of context. And you may speak to some people in a way that Yabra doesn't, or Mu may reach some people in a way that you don't. Right. But we're concerned about people faithfully giving their gifts. But I'm just cautious sometimes in the church, particularly given Paul's doctrine of spiritual gifts in, in 1 Corinthians, that we're more concerned to see people using the gifts God has given them faithfully than to sort of put a checklist kind of approach where you evaluate all of that. And I think at a local church level, I've thanked a couple of people in the course of, of this event, but more broadly, there is this tendency to magnify certain giftings right. and then make people who don't have those giftings sort of second-class citizens in the body of Christ. So I think it's, it's another way in terms of what you were talking about yeah. with, with judging from a worldly perspective where we ought to be very conscious that there is one body, one spirit, but yeah, there's right. a diversity of gifts. And if you're, if you're a toe, you shouldn't want to be an eye and all, all of this yeah, kind right. of stuff. Yeah. And, and we need each other. And I think we, we need to have... Part of the, the problem about some of the discussions about spiritual gifts is almost people can't get beyond talking about like, you know, tongues or no tongues, but having a holistic doctrine of the one body and the many yeah. gifts and, and also really encouraging people in the gifting because that's a gifting from God. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, that's what we, you know, we tend to compare our strengths with other people's weaknesses. And that, that is, becomes very damaging. If you remember earlier in the week, I said, you know, my calling this week is to stand up front and to, you know, unpack this kind of stuff. But I said, there are some of you who are gifted in ways that I am not gifted. I will never reach the people. I will never have the impact that you do. I mean that with all of my heart. Some of you maybe not even are public people at all, but you pray in a way that you are affecting the kingdom in ways that I, I will not be able to affect the kingdom. One of the brothers, I, I think, was talking about being in the classroom, if I'm remembering. 
uh, one of the brothers over here, I think, earlier in the week. And I said, you're going to reach people. Was it, weren't we talking about it? And I was saying, brother, in your specific calling, he, I think you were grappling with, do I need to quit what I'm doing and be in full-time ministry? How does this compare? Vocatio, vocation. And I said, look, God uh, calls people to vocations that are advancing the kingdom of God in ways that I will never be able to advance the kingdom of God because of your context and your gifts and, and that kind of thing. And sometimes those are public and obvious, and sometimes they're not. Um, you know, so the, the impact that uh, a mom staying at home sometimes may have, you cannot measure that in terms of the impact of eternity. You can't. And so we need to, that, that's the, the other fallacy of this whole comparison thing is because it's, it's just dealing with very fleshly human forms of thinking about value. And, and it's not really a kingdom kind of thinking, eternal kind of thinking. Okay. All right. Let's stop and take a, uh, take a break. And we're going to, let me tell you how long we're going to break for. Let's break until 20 minutes of the hour. And we're going to come back and set up um, the um, whole thing about Paul's foolish boast that we're going to deal with this afternoon. We're actually doing pretty well, I think, on our time. Okay. So there's going to be a book table now. And at lunchtime, that's the end of the book table. So if you want okay. something... Just don't say at 4 o'clock, oh, you wish you got something. Okay. okay. All right, so let's head to tea and coffee. Thank you.